you have this wonderful thing that you could be delivering to the world and you are holding back on it. We need that thing. Like we're excited about that thing that you have to offer us. And you're holding back on it because you feel self-conscious or you feel like, who am I to offer this value to the world? Namaste and welcome. I'm Bettina Blumenthal and you're listening to the Soul Compass Podcast the place for creative minds and soulpreneurs just like yourself to find your inner calm and deepen your self-discovery journey. You'll learn practical tips from experts and get inspired to enhance your mental and emotional well-being. Turn off your notifications, put your phone on airplane mode for this episode. It's time to focus and renew your commitment to yourself. This episode is brought to you by the Soul Compass Necklace. I co-created the Soul Compass symbol in 2015 as a symbol of life's greatest journey. The inward journey of self-discovery, of course. In 2019, I partnered with a local Toronto jeweler, Blue Boho, to create this symbol into a necklace for those who are on a spiritual journey of enlightenment and discovery. I created this piece to wear as a reminder of the strength and courage it takes to continue staying course on this path, even through the beauty of life struggles. It's a reminder to stop looking outside of yourself and to slow down enough to hear the whispers of your soul to point you in the right direction. While I would like to continue to keep this show ad-free, the profits from this necklace, a gift for yourself or maybe someone you know who's on a personal journey, helps fuel this show. You can head to soulcompass.life and click on shop to purchase or to learn more. Running your business can be very overwhelming. The workload is constantly growing along with the jumbled to-do lists, projects, and calendars. I'm sure you're flooded with emails and messages, and that's not to mention all the social media pings. I get it, you love what you do, but there are distractions everywhere and it's hard to feel productive. Working on a project itself often seems so easy on the outside, am I right? Yet the emotional work involved in growing your creative business is not so easy. Whether you're starting out or are hitting your stride after a few years in the game, there is no better time than the beginning of a new year to change your habits and mindset to make your work life easier and more efficient. Today, we're joined by Stephanie Pellet, a creative coach and consultant for values-based entrepreneurs. Her goal is to make businesses more sustainable, more expansive, and ultimately much more fun by giving her clients the resources they need to grow. In this episode, Stephanie is going to dive into the five ways to increase your productivity as a creative entrepreneur. This is not just looking at the practical work in your physical world, but we'll also dig into what might be blocking you in your inner world. Some topics that we're going to cover are getting your pricing right and understanding your capacity, combining your inner work and outer work to achieve better productivity, the antidote for imposter syndrome, that I might say is a good one, how valuable a mastermind group can be for your accountability, the power of delegation, and so much more. So without further ado, let's dive into season two, first episode. Stephanie, welcome to the Soul Compass podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to talk to you. I know. I can't wait to dive into all your juicy tips. And for those of you listening, today we're going to dive into five ways to increase your productivity as a creative entrepreneur or for anyone really at the end of the day. And we're not just going to look at the practical work in our physical world, but we're also going to dig into what might be blocking you in your inner world. But before we do so, Stephanie, we love to keep it real and authentic on this podcast. Was there a pivotal moment along your journey that got you where you are today in your entrepreneurial journey? When I started out, it was right after university and I was working as a virtual assistant for a few years and I got to work with some incredible entrepreneurs who are up to such amazing things. And I was doing your basic email marketing and your social media writing and all of these types of things. But because I was working with such a broad range of people and I was working very intimately with them because as a virtual assistant, you're like that person's right hand person. You're always talking to them. I was starting to notice a lot of common themes that would come up and some of what we're going to be talking about today. So some of that inner work and some of the issues with the systems and things like that. And it would be frustrating for me actually, because it wasn't really in my job description to help with those things. <laughs> it was my job to just write the social media post and put it on Instagram. But I was feeling like I could make such a bigger impact with people if I focused on those more higher level pieces. So the limiting beliefs or the stories or the systems, as I mentioned, all of those could make such a bigger impact than just me typing away. But of course, that was really challenging because to move from a role where you're in a support role to in a consulting type of role is like a big and weird and (laughs) confusing shift of your identity. And that was definitely rocky for me. I had a lot of mistakes. I charged people way too little at the beginning, or I was charging other people too much. I didn't know what to do. So it's been a journey. But I think now where I'm at, I really do see that I was right, that I can make a bigger impact with people when I'm talking about those bigger overarching issues. And that makes my work today so much more rewarding. Not because I didn't love being a virtual assistant, I did for that season of my life and I needed it to gain the skills that I have today, but it is more rewarding to see people kind of break through things and get more done and build towards their dreams in a way that they maybe couldn't have unless we had kind of worked together in that way. Absolutely, and it sounds like you really enjoy serving others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Was there a moment that like through that transition, I'm not sure if you were still doing the virtual assistant stuff as you were embarking on your entrepreneurial journey, but was there a moment that just like pushed you? It's like, I got to get out of this. I don't know if it was a nine to five for you and just commit to this business. Yeah, it was never uh, a nine to five in the traditional sense. I was self-employed, but there was definitely a moment. Someone had hired me to help them kind of in a virtual assistant capacity. But again, it was on that bridge where I was kind of doing both things. And at one point, this person, she had a specialty profession and was managing all of the Excel spreadsheets and client things and invoices all in confusing ways, like (laughs) very confusing, strange ways. I didn't really understand how it was working. And I was like, there's got to be a better system for this. But remember, she was hiring me sort of as a virtual assistant. So my pay was very small. I think I was maybe charging $30 an hour or something. So as this was happening, I came up with the solution. I found her a CRM, a customer relationship management 
software that would solve all of her problems. It was like the exact thing. It was specialty to her profession. So it was custom made for all of the things that she was running into. And she said to me, she's like, you probably just saved me. It took me maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes to find this program, just through a little bit of research and my resources that I had gathered at that point, found this program 10 to 15 minutes, handed it to her. And she said, you probably just saved me a million dollars over the course of my business, maybe more. And I was like, you paid me $30. (laughs) And I think in that moment, realizing that that was like, and I, and I don't resent her for it. There isn't any part of that because it was still on me. Like I was figuring out this transition. But I think in that moment when she said that to me, it clicked for me. I was like, I have to make this change because I'm just going to be doing this anyway, whether or not I am charging accordingly. So I better commit and I better make it as good as it can be um, to help people in this way and also be compensated fairly. So that was a hilarious, but very <laughs> instructive experience. <laughs> well, one, I just want to point out that I admire that you took responsibility in Absolutely. that for your portion of it. It's easy to start blaming others. And that's a whole other topic that, that yeah. we could discuss. This actually brought up another question for me before we dive into the productivity tips is you were saying that $30 is too little. And for someone that could seem like oh my gosh, that's double what you would make minimum wage, at least in Canada. I think minimum wage is $15. How do you intuitively price yourself or how would you suggest, like for someone who is just starting out, I know this is a a sense of worth, worthiness as well in there. Someone who's maybe been doing it for a few years and someone who is at the top of their game. Such a good question. I don't know that I have a straightforward answer. Um, I think when I was talking about the $30 there, it was more in comparison to that big outsized amount of value that I was delivering for her because the system was so valuable. I don't necessarily think that it was too little for the other types of work that she had maybe hired me to do, the admin stuff, et cetera. But it's been a process for me in terms of pricing. I actually had a few clients who are dear friends and were good advocates for me in that regard because when I started, I was charging very little and they actually would be the ones to prompt me. Like they were the ones paying me and they would be the ones to prompt me and say, no, (laughs) that's actually too little. And yes, you have to charge for us having a meeting and you should be charging more. And here's what I think you should charge. And so I do think a lot of it happens in conversation with other people. I think entrepreneurial life can be such an echo chamber and it can be so confusing. And so the best advice or the best decisions that I've made in terms of pricing have always happened kind of in conversation with others and getting a sense of what are they charging? What feels appropriate? And then it's a lot of trial and error. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really believe in experimentation in your business. And so if you start out and there's a bit of supply and demand here, right? If you start out and you're charging something and it's low, right? Let's call it low. And you start getting booked out and you can't keep up with it and you can't make a living because it's you're just charging minimum wage, let's say. Then you can start to respond to that and say, all right, let me raise it. Let me like, if there's this much demand, let me like limit the supply and actually make it a little bit more expensive to hire me. So that's kind of how I've gone about it. I've sort of, sometimes it's a shot in the dark with a number and then you see 
do people respond to this? Are they still feeling up for it or does it feel too high? And then I'll adjust. And I never have any shame about if I need to like reduce the price slightly or kind of change it up in that way. But yeah, it's an experiment. <laughs> I don't yeah. have all the answers. <laughs> I completely agree. It's there's definitely an art to it. And I, like you kind of said, you know, I've been doing design specifically and had my have had my creative company for almost 10 years as a freelancer and then officially for at least the last five, six years as like a registered business. And, you know, design has always been easy for me. It's like, I can do this so much quicker than I ever could before when I first started. And maybe I was charging $35 an hour when I first started compared to now when a job that would have taken me like five hours might take me like 30 minutes. So that hourly rate or the way you might quote a project is a little bit different based on your value. And I remember this story someone once told me, I think it was actually Robin Sharma in one of his speaking engagements. He said, uh, this woman came up to Picasso and said, gave him a napkin and said, draw me a picture, an illustration. So it took him 30 seconds, he drew something and gave it to the woman and said, that will cost you a million dollars. And she said, but that took you 30 seconds. And he said, well, it's taken me like 30 plus years to be able to do this in 30 seconds. And it's touchy, too, because if you've been working with clients for a long time and you keep increasing your rate, there's definitely resistance there. But also, kind of like you were saying, it's understanding your capacity and the capacity that you have to take on work. And if you're too low, everyone's going to want to work with you. And that's great. It's such a compliment that people want to work with you. But at the same time, you, you might end up really, really stressed out. And I know that from experience. Yeah, I love that story about Picasso. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's true. It's kind of like you have to be willing to check in and say, no, I'm like at my capacity. Something needs to change here. And I find as long as you are giving considerations to your ongoing clients that generally people are pretty supportive about it. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. There are some people that resist. Yeah. But then it becomes a negotiation and that would be another podcast episode. <laughs> yes. That being said, Stephanie, I'd love to dive into your five ways to increase productivity as a creative entrepreneur. Yes, I'm excited about this. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, and I think the new year is a great time to kind of be thinking about some of these things. And I think a lot of the things we're going to talk about today are more so habits. They're less so specific systems that you need to use, but different habits that you can use that will actually make your work life a little bit more productive and efficient for you. So like you said at the top, I really believe in sort of inner work and outer work combined. I love that. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's so true in my coaching now. I, I think we're talking about one thing. You know, we're talking about launching this this product, let's say. But 90% of the time, we're actually talking about this other thing, which is the underlying emotions that are behind this project. The project itself seems so easy, not always, but often seems easy, but the emotions attached to it are not easy. <laughs> and so we really have to do the inner work before we can even do the outer work. So I'm going to be talking about kind of a combination in these five tips, but they sort of bridge both of those world. So the first one, which I think is just such a big offender, is imposter syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, very familiar with that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, as am I, as are many of my clients. And it's tricky, I think. And I've really tried to find ways to kind of 
cut through and get through to people with this one, because if I can be honest, it kind of pisses me off a little bit sometimes. Cause I'm like, you have this wonderful thing that you could be delivering to the world and you are holding back on it. We need that thing. Like we're excited about that thing that you have to offer us and you're holding back on it because you feel self-conscious or you feel like, who am I to offer this value to the world? So one of the things that I've been really trying to tell clients recently is making it less about us, right? When we're in imposter syndrome, it's all about me. It's how do I feel? What will they think of me? And instead, we need to circle it back to how can you make an impact or are you in a position to make an impact? And if so, then do that, you know? Um, it's not so much about the individual person, us. It's about all of the people that we're hoping to help. And so I think the more that you can refocus on that why, the better off you'll be and the more the imposter syndrome will feel less important. Yeah, and if you don't mind, I just, I've had a big realization myself along that journey of imposter syndrome as well. And it was really helpful for me because, you know, through Wonderful Soul, through Soul Compass, I wanna serve, I want to help people transform their lives or give them the tools at least because they're responsible for their own journey. That was one of my desires, but my desire to not be seen, to not be judged was higher than my desire to serve. And that was something that I really needed to work on. Yeah. That's something to reckon with for sure. Yeah. yeah it's a deep one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's so true. And it's something that we all struggle with. But I think one thing that I like to tell people too, is that you also probably wouldn't even be like noticing this problem or like caring about the thing that you care about or like trying to find all the solutions that you're trying to find if you weren't an expert on some level. <laughs> because people who are just lay people, civilians, let's say you care about the environment, right? I have a client who wants to work on eco-friendly events. She'll go to an event and she'll see all the ways that that event could be improved, all of the things that we could do to make that event more eco-friendly. She was struggling with this as well. And I said to her, listen, if you weren't already an expert on some level, you wouldn't even notice that. The rest of us just walk on by because we don't necessarily know how to fix that problem. But because you do, it means you're an expert. You have something to offer. So just please do that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Number one, I think this numero uno was a big one for a lot of people. Yeah. And the more you can clear it, the more productive you can be. So that's an example of the inner work. Because <laughs> until we clear that, I could give you all of these other tools. You're not going to make progress on them because you'll feel you don't deserve to or you're not the right person to do it. Okay, so number two, I would say, is to get yourself a little bit of accountability, or a lot of accountability. <laughs> it depends who you are. But I think all of us on some level need some level of accountability, and there are a lot of different ways to go about this, right? There's posting it on Instagram every single day and showing up in that way. There's having an accountability buddy, so somebody that you check in with regularly. Maybe you hire someone, right? Like, to literally act as your accountability person, whether that's a coach or a virtual assistant or both or a combination. Also, I am really a huge fan of mastermind groups. And those are a huge way for me to stay accountable to myself is to know that I have to check in with people regularly. We do ours once a month. And for those of you who don't know, a mastermind group is just a collection of peers. It can be even one other person. Mine has two other people and it's pretty informal. You meet once a month and there's a structure where each person gets to share something that they're struggling with, get feedback from the group. But it's also just such a great way to stay on task and stay motivated. Love that. And often people struggle with this idea that they have to do 
everything by themselves. I know I'm because I'm one of them. So (laughs) having that group or that even that one person that you meet with on a regular basis to keep you on track is so helpful and huge. Yeah. And I think sometimes we think we shouldn't need it or something, you know, like we should be able to just have all the willpower to stick to our goals and (laughs) pride gets in the way. (laughs) Yeah. pride definitely gets in the way because you're like, I should be, but I shouldn't need to hire someone to help me with this. I shouldn't need to meet up with people regularly or call my friend every other day and tell her report on what I've done. But I think that if you need it, you need it. And there's no point fighting against your nature. Just give yourself what you need. That's it. Absolutely. And my partner would laugh hearing me say those things because I'm saying it out loud because he says it to me all the time. He's like, Bettina, you don't need to do it all by yourself. You have support. I'm like, I know, but it's so hard to remember sometimes. Yeah, it is hard (laughs) to remember. I know. But yeah, that's actually a great point that sometimes it's like that's a way to be productive, not only to motivate yourself, but also to delegate to other people is another great way to um, to get more done, obviously. Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Number two. Awesome. Number two. (laughs) Yeah. Number three is a personal vendetta of mine. I feel very strongly about it. And that's to limit the amount of notifications and pingings that you have coming at you every single day. I see this all the time. Sometimes I work out of a co-working space and I like to say that like other people's phones distract me. (laughs) Even if my phone is quiet and away in my bag, I still get distracted by other people's phones. So I can't even imagine being distracted by my own phone. It would be next level. So there's again, multiple levels of this. You don't have to go full crazy person like I do where I have everything turned off and my phone's always on do not disturb. You can do different levels. I recommend starting with your biggest offender. So for many people that's Instagram um, and making sure all of the, the push notifications are turned off for Instagram or your email, things like that. Cause I find you could just be doing your work and the second that you get a ping, you're out of it again. And it's just the easiest way. Like if, if you were going to design something to literally stop people from being productive, it would be the smartphone. So we have to strike back a little bit. And there are all kinds of tools now to help us do that. Um, but it's up to us to really set them up. Yeah, it's setting up a boundary with what's happening uh, on your phone. And I know even same with myself, I was looking the other day because I got a report on my iPhone. It's like you had, and I turn on off, off, off a lot of my notifications and I still had 81 pings. Yeah. 81, that's a lot. And it t- for every distraction, what is it? Like 21 or 23 minutes to actually refocus. It's a lot of wasted time. Especially when it comes to something that requires more of our attention. I mean, for sure, if you're just checking email, then yes, it can feel less important that you get a ping that pulls you out of it. But let's say you're doing something more important, like you want to write a book or you want to create a podcast episode, et cetera. If we were just sitting here and our phones were going off every two seconds, people who are listening would not like it very much. (laughs) And it would also distract us from what we were talking about. So I think it's important. And it's one of those things that I think people resist initially because it can feel like we want to be connected. We get so much out of being connected. There's that dopamine about being connected. But I also find that you get addicted to turning them off. I I still remember one of my friends, when I finally convinced her to turn them off, she was like going down the list. She's like, oh my gosh, I could do this all day. They're never going to talk to me again. You know, she just loved it. So give it a try. You might, you might like it more than you think. (laughs) I agree. I I concur. I second that. Oh, good. We're, we're, We're agreed. 
Yeah. So number four here is to keep track of your tasks in a little bit more of a structured way. This is different for everybody because obviously I don't know what people are using currently, but I find with a lot of the people that I work with that they may be trying to hold a lot of stuff in their head as they move through the day or have things jotted down in random notes on their phone. And so if you can find one system that really works for you to keep everything consolidated, and especially if you're working with other people, for all of you to have your work consolidated and have eyes on what people are doing, I find it's really helpful. But even for me, most of the time I work alone and I couldn't do it without the system that I use. I use Asana for anyone who's curious and I have all my tasks like assigned to myself. There's no one one else is assigned tasks, but that helps me to just see what I have to do, be able to move things around, not lose track of things. Everything is in one system. So there's so many ones out there and I would (laughs) encourage people to take a look, but not get too far down the rabbit hole of like looking in all the different systems. Just choose one, try it out and see how it works for you. That's a good call. And I'm curious to know when you start planning your week, do you have any strategy? Like, would you do that on a Sunday or like, that's what you plan on Monday morning in how you're going to structure your week? And if so, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. I actually usually do a combination of things. I often do my tasks in a project-based system. So in Asana, I can have multiple projects. So let's say I have a project that's about my group coaching program and I have all the things that I need to do for that. So as I'm planning for something, an event or a session, I might have different tasks that I put in and I might just sort of in the moment think, oh, I should probably do that by Monday if the thing is happening on Thursday, right? And so I just start putting in due dates and then I have a great calendar view that I can look at. And so I kind of come to the calendar and that can be the beginning of the week whenever I do it on an ongoing basis. And I can see what kind of ended up in my calendar for this week, (laughs) you know, based on all these projects and all the things that I was excited about on different moments, like, oh, I should also do this newsletter. And so maybe that should happen on Monday too. Finally, I look at my calendar and Monday might be a little bit cray cray. (laughs) Monday might be a little too full. So then what I like about the system I use, but you could amend this for whatever you're using is to be able to look at what you've assigned to yourself for a particular day and then say, that's actually not realistic. Let me like look at my calendar. I'm not going to be able to do that. So then I can start to drag things around to different days that maybe I do have more space in my calendar. So yeah, it's a combination. I don't always do my planning for the next week on a particular day. It's on a more of a rolling way, but I like being able to see everything at the glance. That's really important. I completely agree. I'm such a visual person. So that is sometimes the list is nice. Okay, I need to get this done. But to see everything visually, have it time blocked is super helpful and giving myself enough space. So it's not like you feel like, excuse my language, shit at the end of the day because you didn't accomplish all the things you set out to do that day in particular. And one other strategy that's been helpful for me as a creative entrepreneur, and I don't know if maybe you've tried this as well, but on days when I know I need to design, I make sure there's nothing like really logical that I need to do in the sense that like when I'm working visually on all my designs, it's really hard for me to even answer emails, let alone write copy for the website or for uh, Instagram social posts. So blocking out days, I usually have two to three days a week where I'm only doing creative work because that's a huge chunk of my life. Um, But the other days, it's more organization, uh, making sure like things in the business are staying on track, etc. And that was something that I it took me a long time to learn. And that's why I'm so excited to share it because 
it's something that has really, really helped me along my journey. Yeah. And I think it's so important to have that realization, right? And notice what works for you because everybody's so different. The type of work that everyone does is so different. A great example in my business, I do a lot of coaching calls now. And so I have structured myself. I was trying to do coaching calls and all of this other crazy stuff in my business on the same days. And so I realized, no, the days where I have coaching calls, I need to just basically do coaching. Like that is where my brain needs to be. And all of these other projects that involve design work or planning or strategy, those need to happen on the days that I'm not coaching. So I think that it's sort of a process of trial and error as people go, but yeah, it's so key to know know yourself and know what works for you. Yeah. And the key is don't overstretch yourself. Yes. Don't overcommit to things especially when it comes to like meetings and whatnot. That's another thing that I'll do. I'll schedule all my meetings in hopefully one day. Yeah. Rather than having it spread throughout the week. Yeah, it's so important. And that's another thing that's a bit of trial and error too, I would say. (laughs) You have to figure out what works for you. Yeah, you do. Yeah, because you will start out trying to do too much. And I think sometimes people have resistance around setting up a system like this because it forces them to actually look at how much time they have. And sometimes people get overwhelmed, like, wow, those are all the tasks that I wanted to do this week. What was I thinking? You know? And so as you go through that process, but having that visual eyes on it is going to allow you to be more realistic in the coming weeks. Cause you'll be like, Oh, right. Last Monday I tried to do 19 tasks that didn't work out so well. So maybe this Monday I need to try to do three or four. Oh, you know? <laughs> story of our millennial lives. We want things to be done so much quicker. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. So that was number four. What do we have for number five? Number five, speaking of millennial lives, this is sort of similar to number three, but it is different. So I wanted to give it its own category, which is to set up more communications boundaries. I think as creative entrepreneurs, we have often been in a scarcity mindset from the beginning. Like we need business. I need clients. So I need to be available to people at all times. I need to respond to them right away. And that may have actually been necessary at the very beginning of your business. I don't know that it necessarily is, but you know, For some people, maybe they feel, okay, I actually need to be in that mode where I'm able to respond really quickly. But as you kind of come to a place where you have a little bit more security, I think it's so key because if you don't have boundaries around your communication, you will burn out. (laughs) That is logic, you know, point A to point B. So this is around email. This is around Instagram DMs are becoming such a huge culprit because there's no (laughs) rule book for how to use DMs. And we're speaking of wanting an immediate things to happen immediately. We, when we reach out to a company on Instagram, we want a response within a few minutes, which has never been the customer service expectation until now. And so I think it's important to, again, try to sort of fight back a little bit against this, to set up policies for yourself, having office hours that your business runs and not trying to answer email at 11 at night. Because I think also with communication, you sort of teach people how to treat you. So if you are responding to a DM within five minutes, then people are expecting a response within five minutes. If you're responding within a business day, they're expecting a response within a business day. So you do have more power and control than you think. And I think especially if you're doing good work, people will want to work with you regardless of how quickly, obviously don't let them leave them on red for like three weeks, but (laughs) regardless of if it's within a couple of minutes, people will still want to work with you. So you can afford to give yourself a little bit more of that space. And I think this is huge. It kind of goes back to the notifications. Like if you don't have that space to do your deep work, it's not going to happen. So it's important that you 
give yourself that time. Yeah. And boundaries are an interesting one because if you were never shown boundaries Mm. growing up, I think it becomes a little bit of a challenge and you think that maybe, like you said, like, oh, this client won't want to work with me or I won't be accepted or people won't like me. But boundaries actually give that person a guideline on how you can work together, but also they'll probably respect you more. So that is part of a relationship, even though you're providing a service or whatever you're providing, you really want, like I've worked with clients that I've, I've had to fire because it just didn't work, but I also didn't know how to set proper boundaries. And that was my responsibility. So I think that this boundaries and communication is so key, whether it's verbal communication, but also (laughs) like you say in like, I I think I was counting the other day. I'm like, I had seven ways people can get a hold of me. And I just went off social for at least the next week. I just got back from a meditation retreat and like being on social being like wrapped up in that world is not the greatest so I'm realizing that people trying to get a hold of me on social I'm like no they have still they still have three other ways they can get a hold of me yeah and seven ways becomes overwhelming right it starts to feel like you're being hit from all these sides and I think that's something that I would offer to people listening as well like if you do feel like you know you're a person who has maybe 10 ways for people to get in contact with you you can start to shut down some of those funnels or like funnel people towards one way like you know if people are reaching out to me on Instagram and want to set something up I will usually say can I send you an email? What's the best way to contact you? So I'm funneling them back over to email. So I don't have to be checking all of these different places, or let's say they want to join my program. I'm like, here's the link to go apply through here so that you're not having to keep up with all of those, those things. Cause that can be so stressful. That's like a full-time job in and of itself. Yeah. You need a virtual assistant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right. And I think sometimes what I tell people is like, if you have these systems set up for yourself, you may be able to handle more than you think. You may be able to do more than you think, handle more inquiries than you think. And yeah, email might not be overwhelming for you anymore once you kind of have these systems set up. Absolutely. So to recap our five ways, one would be doing the inner work, dealing with that imposter syndrome Two, give yourself some accountability, either setting something up like a mastermind or an accountability buddy. Turn off your notifications. I think me and Stephanie are on the same track on that one. Keep track of your tasks better. So finding a program such as Asana to help you organize. And last but definitely not least, set up boundaries in your communications. Stephanie, this was amazing. I'm so glad. Yeah. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I am so happy. So grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining. Do you have anything excited coming up that you think our audience would just dig? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you have a great audience. So I think they would dig all kinds of things because we seem aligned. So I do a few different things. I have a coaching program that enrolls regularly. So depending on when people are listening to this, they can learn more on my website, which is stephaniepellet.com. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes and things like that. And then you can always find me on Instagram. I'm always sharing advice and tips and resources. And I love for people to come say hi there. I'm on stories a lot. So yeah, I would love for people to stay in touch in any way that they want to. Amazing. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining us today. Thank you, Bettina. This was great. That's a wrap for this week's episode. 
To stay connected between our episodes, you can head over to soulcompass.life and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on all things self-discovery. And please don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast player right now so you never miss an episode. If this content inspired you even just a wee bit, please leave me a note telling me on iTunes. I read every one of your comments personally, and your feedback really helps me grow the show and produce the type of content you find valuable. Thank you again for dedicating time to your self-discovery journey. Not only are you contributing to your own mental and emotional well-being, but you are contributing to a healthier, more harmonious world and raising the consciousness of our planet. You, my friend, are amazing and beautiful just the way you are. Thank you for being part of our journey and thank you for letting us become part of yours.